So yesterday, uh, we had this big day dedicated to thinking through the gospel. And um, I just want to thank you guys that came to that, and those of you guys that helped put it on. An enormous help. A lot, it takes a lot of work to put into that. But really, the, the idea is, um, let me kind of work backwards at this. Like, we're a church, right? Uh, uh, this is kind of a church building, uh, like some kind of weird old fellowship hall or something like that, right? Um, but our church has been in a winery, and before that our church was in a school, and before that our church was in the park, and before that it was in a hallway. And uh, because the church isn't a building, uh, the church is God's family. So God is making a family from people across the world, and he brings them out of darkness into light and makes them either A, a son, B, a daughter. And that worldwide family always has physical expression in a local church. And so you can't come to Jesus without coming to his family because he's gathered a family around himself. Um, so this, it's, this is part of our thing. You know, we're never orphans and we're never alienated. And you'll never be in the doghouse of God. Uh, you always be amongst the family of God. So uh, we are that. We are God's family. But how you get into God's family is unique. You're not just born into God's family. We're all born into darkness, all born into sin. And so um, yesterday is a, a day dedicated to us doing our best to really help the people of our church know how to think through the gospel, really what it is, don't, not just give me you know, the third grade Sunday school answer. Even though some of our third grade Sunday schoolers down there can like smoke half of us adults when they talk about it. Um, but now you know a kid's answer, but really understanding what is this big picture of who God is and what he's been doing through Jesus Christ. So we take a whole day and like put it out there. I talked a little bit yesterday and uh, everyone else talked a little bit. Snacks galore, back and forth. Just try and get, really kind of understand it. Knock it out of just some cold terms into really some great understanding. And we do that because uh, that story is the context of the Bible. So if you pick up the Bible anywhere, Acts, Psalms, Revelation, Genesis. You pick it up anywhere and you read things, you really not going to understand it unless you understand it in its context. There's layers to that. But the biggest context is this, the story of who God is and what he's doing and what he's making of us. He's going into a world that's not about him, who's made by him but is against him, and he is transforming people in those nations and making them sons and daughters. But there's a tool he does that with. And that is the tool of Jesus Christ. Christ comes, becomes a man as well, and lives and dies and rises again and does the, the only thing that could be done to bring me from darkness into light, to change me, to transform me, to make me acceptable to God, to give me new spiritual life, to make me a place where he would put his Holy Spirit, to forever call me forgiven and righteous. Not because Scott Burns is good we know Scott Burns is not good, like you. But Jesus is good, and Jesus has placed his work into our account. So when the Father looks at Chris, the Father sees Jesus now, and always will. So we can't improve Chris's account because Chris's account is filled by Christ. The gospel bring, makes us sons and daughters. Our, our text today will make no sense unless you understand the gospel. It's, it's a bunch of stuff you do. The first half of the book of Romans is, is a lot of talk of just about the way things are. Um, who God is and what he's done. And when we turn the corner of Romans 12, there's really, it's, it's almost like there's a big, fat, giant printed word, therefore, boom, right? In 12, we're going to start turning into, since 1 to 11 is alive, therefore, what does it do to us as God's people? Um, in, the book of, in the book of John, 
there's a description of that. So I'm just going to use me. As a person who once was darkness, and God came to me in the gospel and won my heart over, I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, and so now I belong to him, always to the work of Jesus. What is my new life now? In the book of John, chapter 15, is a kind of a famous description of what that look like, what that looks like. And it uses this word abide. And it says this. And just to listen to the, the description of the life of God's child with God. This is not the life of the person who doesn't know God with God. This is the life of the person who already does know God with God. And you can't know God by just doing this stuff. Okay, this is not do enough of this and become a son or daughter. This is once you are a son or daughter, here's the new life. Here's what God's offering you. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser, is what Jesus says. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. Already you're pruned because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So this is abide language. It's this dwelling language. It's, it's very interactive. It's give and take, give and take. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Christian, loved by God, unless you're abiding with Jesus, walking in the Spirit, you do nothing. That really counts. Oh, we may say, hey, that's pretty good. You did a great job mowing the church lawn. You did an amazing job at that gospel workshop. But God knows if you're abiding with him or not. And the thing that's really true and really fruit and really pleasing to God as someone that he already loves are things that come from when you are abiding with him, not working on some type of fleshly autopilot that looks kind of Jesus-ish. Verse 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned because that's what he makes. He makes abiders. He makes lovers of God. He makes people who want to be near him and walk near him. There's a new change relationship where we interact and we abide with God. We abide with Jesus. So in our text, which is Romans chapter 12, I'd encourage you to turn there so you can read along in your, in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, there are some Bibles in the back. I already apologize about how small the print is on those things. So we're going to fix that at some point in time or just give cross city magnifying glasses. Okay. So here we are in Romans chapter 12, in verses 9 to 13. In verses 1 to 2, it describes us as since we received so much mercy as God's children who agreed to that mercy. Since we've just been slathered mercy for three chapters now, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is a continual ongoing thing where you keep going to Jesus, your body and be going, here I am, here I am, here I am. What do you want me to do? Here I am, here I am. And so you're constantly presenting yourself to him for his use and for his pleasures. And you do it in verse 2 by not being conformed to this world, by so not being shaped by, influenced by the listening to, the watching to, the subscribing of the things of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind because then your mind is not that way initially. So the mind then is renewed because we keep our nose in the text of God's word by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So there's this process of us renewing our mind so that we continually present ourselves as living sacrifices to the Lord, right? And so we're going to keep going like, Lord, what do you want? Lord, what do you want? He goes, here's, here's what I'd like today. I would like you to consider Romans chapter 12. And then he goes on for a set of verses, and he talks about the way he gives gifts to us to be able to use amongst God's people. And then we get to verses 7 to 13. Then he talks about how to live with each other particularly, 
And we looked at that last week. I won't review it. But there's an amazing bunch of very small statements. Honestly, if you just read it, almost everything you initially think when you read verses 7 to 13 are going to be very straightforward. Like, so Jesus wants me to not be slothful and zeal. That's pretty straightforward. All right, Jesus, I present myself to you. Um, I want to be zealous for you. So, so let's feed that zeal. You want, me to pa- I want, you want me to be passionate in my spirit for you, okay? Uh, you want me to be hospitable, okay? So you should, all right, so I'm gonna now be hospitable. I'm going to probably buy a house or an apartment or a yurt, and I'm gonna do it in a way that I can express and show hospitality to people. I'm gonna get a refrigerator the size that I can show hospitality to people. I'm not going to buy pristine furniture that no one can sit on. Like, I'm going to pursue hospitality and amongst God's people, see who are the family strangers that I invite into that and the people in my neighborhood to experience hospitality proactively. I present myself as a living offering because you say you love that. And what's happening through the whole piece of it is as mentioned in Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. See, here's the astounding thing. Jesus came to this world, and before he got done teaching, he lived all this out perfectly and beautifully. Uh, he's the ultimate hospitable one who doesn't even have a house. He's pulling in fish. He's, he's, he's doing radio calls, pulling in fish from the shore. He's doubling down on bread. He's feeding meals. He's the perfectly hospitable one. He's the one perfect in zeal. He's the one with a passionate spirit. He's the one who's done all this, and we've seen it. So we've seen him do it, and then we've seen him teach it, both taught and do. And there's no fault in him, and he's beautiful and wonderful. And that is what God is doing in the gospel, is he's plucking people like me, like you, out of darkness, saving us, perfecting our record in heaven, which is called justification. And then he is sanctifying us over the duration of our life, changing us to look more and more and more like Jesus as we continually present ourselves or present ourselves, as we abide with the branch into the vine, right? And we're saying, God, what do you want? What do you want? And his spirit is moving in us, crafting in us an obedience. So we are being conformed into Christ's image. And so we, the ones left with the message of the gospel to share it with people because he has placed us there around these people, um, what the channel, what, what the tool of the, of the gospel is, which is us, looks more and more like the original speaker of the gospel, who is Christ. So we're not just simply saying Jesus is the great hospital one. People are able to taste it in little bits and pieces by watching our lives. Well, today in our passage, Verses 14 on to 16 are three more sections about how we do that amongst God's people. The first place we do it is actually amongst God's people. That was last week. Here we go on verse 14. And I'm choosing some words today um, that, I, that I, I, last week we were talking about we worship by. I'm just changing the words up a little bit today just for the sake of thought. Um, we give the offering of. We, get, as we as believers who are accepted by God, we give the offering of these things, living sacrifices, First one is we give the offering, um, the offering of blessing attackers. Check this out. Verse 14 of 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and not, do not curse them. Now, I, I just mentioned this in God's family. Here's why. Um, I know it looks like someone like maybe who doesn't believe Jesus is attacking you. I think that comes later on the text. There's plenty of attack for the day, okay, um, for, for your faith. That comes later on the text. What we have here is kind of a unique statement, but it's stuffed in the middle of all these instructions for how we experience things in God's family. So I want to basically invite you to the world of church hurt, right? There's a lot of talk about church hurt because in the church, 
because our good friend Wes back there, who we love, um, is perfectly loved by God and perfectly forgiven and made righteous in Jesus, but until he's taken across the threshold and brought to the face of God, there is left stuff in his life that's unrefined. He's going to wrestle with temptation. He's going to fail. And if you hang out with Wes, um, eventually Wes is going to hurt you. Wes is going to sin against you. Um, hang out with me. I'm going to sin against you sometime. I hang out with you. You're going to sin against us. It's going to happen, right? So I think what we have in verse 14 is that the, the word there, persecute, is, is actually the same word used in the verse before about seeking hospitality. Same word, seek. So blessed are those who are seeking you, it's a, but it's an adver- adversarial way where people in the church hurt you, and it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So you're living with a bunch of people who are being progressively sanctified, loved by God, and every one of them wrestle with sin. Um, you're going to get the tooth every now and then. You're going to get bit. It's going to be intentional or unintentional. People are going to hurt you. What do you do in that case? We saw how Jesus handled this, right? We saw Jesus as he hang- hangs on a cross for us being mocked and saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing, and they cast lots to divide his garments. We heard him teach it out of his heart in Luke 6, where he says, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Um, This idea of what it means to bless and curse, it's it's not here, I think, pointing towards the actions that we do, but actually the words. How do we speak about these people? How do we wish for these people? So when people within the church hurt you, and they will, God's desire for you, and you present yourself as a living sacrifice to God, that person that slandered you, that person who was mean to you, that person who ignored you, that person who wasn't there for you in your hurtful pain moment, that person who didn't check up on you when you weren't around for two weeks, um, that person who is so taken advantage of your, of your hospitality for like two years, and they've never even brought mustard over, right? Whatever those things are that you feel like, man, this person is really hurting my soul. And you present your heart in a body in Christ and saying, okay, so I hear him a living sacrifice. So what do you want me to do? He says, bless them and do not curse. The world would say, well, what you do is you get on Facebook and you light them up. What you do is you, you gather some of the homies on the side and start like, that person over there, they're trash. They're not a good friend. But Jesus goes, no, no, no. Thank you for presenting yourself as a living sacrifice to me. What did you see me do? And we say, you blessed and did not curse. And he goes, and what am I telling you to do? Bless and do not curse. Wish from the heart the best for those people and to speak those words. So this is not the pronunciation of some kind of maje- like, um, magical blessing or magical cursing. This is simply the words of wishing well for people and not tearing them down. You will face church hurt. You will. I, I want to call you past simply enduring it. I want to call you to remember what Jesus is doing. He's gathering a family for himself. And remember where he got them from? The pound, the darkness, the wilderness, the weeds, right? Where you came from, where I came from, right? And we carry all that stuff with us. It's going, you're going to face the, the challenges of that. It's going to be there. So let it not be about you surviving and you not hurting. Let this be about Christ, what he's doing. He has welcomed you out of darkness into the light, into his family. He loves his family. And that family is gathering by his power more family. And of course, he's going to be refining them. Like, he's been refining you. Like, you church somebody else and didn't even know it. He's going to do this. So, brothers, I'm not calling you to endure it. I'm calling you to bless them. Bless them as the loved children of God who may know Jesus far less time than you'd have. 
because in God's grace, he saved you before he saved them. Or maybe he's taught you something before he's taught them. So don't curse, bless. Uh, really think about it. What do we want? We want our lives invested for the glory of God. Don't, don't we want to see the Lord just bring in tons of people into his family? Tons of people into his family? And what do, you, do, you, do we expect that they are church, church broken by the time they get into church and they, they don't wet the church floor? That they don't sin in front of us and sin all over us and hurt us? Of course this happens. We are so used to this with these beautiful little babies that keep popping out in our congregation, right? Um, they have to be cared for and they do weird things like throw up on you and, and can't feed themselves and they cry and all those kind of things and we care for them and, and raise them as they get older and take care of them. God's family is no different, and so that is why we bless and do not curse the family of God, even when they bite you. So rest in God, be a living sacrifice, say, okay, Jesus, here I am, I belong to you, what do you want me to do? He goes, thank you, I want you to bless and curse, like I have blessed and not cursed you, because I love those people. I laid my life down, and I died for those people, and they hurt me, <laughs> they hurt me far more than they ever hurt you, and I love them and blessing them. So the first thing offering we have is the offering of blessing attackers, even inside the church. We worship God by verbally responding to those who attack with grace, wishing well upon them rather than cursing. We are living sacrifices through the kind, grace-filled words towards those who hate. And that's really hard, guys, and it will always be hard until God takes you home. And then you'll do it yourself. So watch for yourself on the other side of this as we hurt people. And seek, seek forgiveness, seek reconciliation, be aware of how we actually treat people like that. Second piece, the offering of joining hearts. The offering of joining hearts. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This technically means to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Really, just means that. Um, so how do, how do we actually offer ourselves a living sacrifice in this sense? Jesus goes, thank you very much. You're like, oh, I'm going to bite. All right, Jesus, what do you want me to do? What, do you, what, do you, what does your spirit want to put me forward to? And he goes, okay, so do you see rejoicing in front of you? I see it. He goes, get in on that, right? Like, j- enter into their joy. Are they happy about their kid coming to know Jesus? Enter into their pain. Are they sad about losing somebody? Then sit down and weep with them. Like, are, are, is there joy there? Is there sadness there? Like, live life with them. He's not saying come and get in a chair next to them simply on a Sunday morning and calling that family. Like We're talking issues of God's family here to be in the, the, the highs and lows of that. And um, man, I've just been so, I've experienced so much of you guys and of this in my life over the years and so many of you guys who aren't here anymore. And by God's grace, I'm thankful to have been on the other side of that too. This beautiful art of, of rejoicing if those rejoice and weeping if those who weep. And we saw it in Jesus, right? We saw him weeping with Lazarus' family. We see him celebrating in weddings. We see him celebrating, um, yeah, like, you know, remember right as he dies, he's setting up the, 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 the Lord's Supper. And how, what, how does he talk about the Lord's Supper? He goes, man, I passionately waited for this meal. The word there is the exact same word we use for lust, like epithuma. I've been like dying for, I mean, he's, his heart is with them. Like he wants to be with his boys with all the imperfections that are coming the next 24 hours. He wants to be there rejoicing over and rejoicing with them. We've seen him do it. He's done it beautifully. He rejoiced and he wept with us. So embracing and entering into life with others, it's costly. It's risky. Um, I, as a selfish person who wrestles with selfishness, you probably don't, um, when I see people suffering, um, okay, let's just talk about my wonderful wife, Melissa. Um, when Melissa sees, let's say one of our kids, we got four. 
when we see suffering in one of our kids or friends around us, um, she has more of a tendency by me because the Spirit is working her way to actually want to enter in. I have a tendency, I'm just admitting this, I'm not defending this, to want to hang back a little bit and just see if the, if the fire sweeps through. And then like, Kevin, like, hey, you doing all right? You all right? Yeah? Fist bump? Uh, so I, 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 I have an aversion towards this more than my wife does. I think she does a far better job of sitting with people in the dark hours and to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. When I hear the stories of women's retreat, and the hours spent crying and the gallons of tears that flow in women's retreat, um, I just go, man, kind of like playing frisbee at men's retreat. You know, it's a <laughs> little bit easier. Um, but as we present our hearts as living sacrifices to King Jesus, like, what do you want? And he goes, get in deeply into the joys and pains of the people around me. That is their joys and their pains, therefore it's my joys and their pains. There's descriptions of Christ, and the, of, of, of God in the Old Testament, of trapping our tears in a bottle because he cares for you. You know, it's not, it's not just tough. Claire mentioned in praise that like sometimes God doesn't take these things for us. He's, gonna raise, he's, gonna, he's going to, to make us strong. But the tears you shed in the middle of that are not wasted. That's not God. God's not that like drill sergeant marine dad who just threw you in the pool and says, learn how to swim, son. Quit crying. But God is not like that. God is careful and God is tender and he, he knows our pains and he, is a, he, su- he shares with us in our sufferings, shares with us our pains and he calls us as brothers and sisters to enter into one another's joys and pains with them. We worship God by entering into a life with our brothers and sisters in Christ through the highs and through the lows. And that, you know, honestly, you're going to have to walk with the Spirit and know how to do that because there may be a time where you people are suffering and we probably have all felt it as we try to do that where we don't really know is this the time to call is this the time to not call oh i've had it with half of you guys in the room <laughs> and you probably had it with me like that's ah, a tough time should i call scott should i not call scott should i call aaron should i not call aaron um walk in the spirit but err on the side of calling walk in the spirit err on the side of rejoicing with err on the side of of weeping with do it sensitively allow them to say hey give me a day allow them to say um, hey, thanks for coming over, and just have your antennas up for like, they just want some solo time. So walk in the spirit, but I would say err on the side of approach because Jesus says err on the side of approach. And that's what we do as we walk is living sacrifices. Third one, offering of humble association. The offering of humble association. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So literally, awkwardly, the, the original language here reads like this. One another minded, not high minded, but lowly associating. Don't be minded according to yourself. Three times in the same word, three, uh, three words in the same verse here, where the mind is, where you fancy yourself. We as people in our flesh, we tend to gravitate towards the elite, towards the powerful, towards the rich. Uh, we even do it when we think of sources of mission or like what's, What's, uh, what's the best way the gospel goes out? Well, you should attack the influencers, right? Like, oh, like we should get influencers. If you can get influencers or politicians or powerful or smarties or coolies or richies, if you can get them, that's where the power is. But God goes, no, no, no. So as you come before Jesus and say, all right, Lord, I present myself as a living sacrifice. I'm yours. What do you want? In fellowship, what do we do in fellowship? The, the work of Jesus in fellowship is it brings us all low, right? But this is not newly stated here. Uh, we, saw, we saw Christ doing himself, right? He's associating with, in mission, associating with the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes, not because he was a prostitute, not because he was a sinner, not because he was a tax collector, 
but because he comes to those who are of a low nature, the dejected. And then in the church, he does the same thing. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 1, we kind of mentioned this passage yesterday. <laughs> Listen to how he describes us. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to the worldly standards. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you are noble birth. Kind of low-rung people is what he's saying. Most of you aren't like pretty high up there. But God shows what is foolish in the world. That's not a compliment. God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world. Also not a compliment. To shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world. Even the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Like the church is loaded with it. Right? God particularly goes to the highways and byways and finds us as the spares and strays and the, the ones who are not the gems of the world. That's what the church is mostly made of and made of on purpose. We saw Jesus and uh, like who, <laughs> look at Jesus' disciples. Fishermen. I love fishermen. I fish, right? But fishermen, not educated. I mean, that's part of the story. After, in the book of Acts, they're like, these fishermen show up and they're just like, boom, laying out these amazing gospel messages. They're like, who is, what? he's in a boat. How do you learn how to do that, right? So you have fishermen, you have boisterous people, you have uneducated people, you have lowly people, you have zealots, you have socially inharmonious men on the team who's making disciples and his ragtag band of followers and women named Mary. So like that's, that's the pile of people that Jesus, are following Jesus around, right? I love Mary's. You're all great. Um, I just think it's funny sometimes when you get those passages and who is there and Mary was there and Mary and Mary and Mary. Um, God chooses and works through particularly the low, the lowly and humble. So when we come before Jesus in our walk with him and our fellowship and say, okay, what do you want me to do? Do I clamor after people who happen to have power in the church or happen to have influence in the church or cool or fun? Like he says, go to the lowly. Let your heart associate with the lowly. Just go everywhere. Go where God has put you amongst the people and, and tie at the heart level with the lowly. Do not look for the powerful. So in our church, I happen to be the one who teaches the most. Um, we have pastors in our church. We have leaders in our MCs and we have deacons and, and, and anybody who does those things within a church could be seen as someone that you want to hang out with maybe until you hang out with us and you feel like you don't want to hang out with us, right? But like there's these positions where you're like, I want to hang out or I want to maybe be on the inside and God goes, that's not the way it works. Oh, living sacrifice of mine. Come put your heart before me. He goes, go get the lowly. Like, find, I mean, brothers and sisters, we come here on Sunday mornings, we come on MCs, Watch people walk through the door. Watch for the people who no one's talking to. Watch for the people who sit alone. Watch for the people who don't seem to look like everyone else because of a skin color or a hair choice or their clothing or a language or whatever. Look for the lowly. God's saying look for the lowly. Don't always go running to those who are comfortable by you. It's one of the reasons we do missional communities and not affinity groups. So our church is comprised of, of seven missional communities which are mixed gender multi-generational group because uh, while it's very convenient to be a person a dude who's 34 and you connect very well with other men in their early 30s with no children who ride harleys and you feel like man my heart just connects with this group um that's not how the family of god works he's 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 designed for us oldies and us youngies to hang out the men and the women the children and the age that all of us, uh, across generations and across races, across languages, he's designed us to be his family and not segregating by lifestyle, not segregating by 
socioeconomic barriers, but really we are coming together. So brothers and sisters, as we present our bodies as a living sacrifice for the Lord, how do we do it? We associate with the humble because exactly what we saw Jesus and is exactly why you're here today because Jesus associated with you in your humility. So we're the ones and we rejoice in it. We worship God by associating with finding our peers in the mutually humbled people of God. Let the lowly brother bro- boast in his exaltation. Let the rich in his humiliation because like the flower of grass, he will pass away. James 1. Then we come to our second portion of our, our passage here, the last chunk here. And this deals particularly with moving now into how you'll be treated. What do you do when you abide with Jesus, when you present yourself as a living sacrifice to people outside the church and they're not liking you? You're going to be hurt by him. Take a look at 17, 18, and 19. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So Jesus, uh, we saw it in Jesus. We saw Jesus' reception, right? Right off the bat, people are like, woo Let's We like him. He teaches amazing things. He says things we never heard before. He's making fish. He's making bread. He's raising the dead. He's doing all kinds of miracles. Let's follow him, right? And then what happens as he's teaching more and more, people are like, mm, but I don't like that. That's an insult to my righteousness. That's an insult to my family. That's an insult to my socioeconomic. I mean, pretty soon, people really started not liking him. And really soon, the leaders of Israel didn't like him. And really soon, they started trying to kill him, putting him to public test, trying to get him to test himself out of the favors of the public, and then eventually to assassinate him. So we saw that in him. That, but what did he do? He didn't retaliate. You remember those amazing times where Jesus is sitting in a trial? And, and, and he's not trying to get out. He's not trying to retaliate. He could, oh, he had power to retaliate. I mean, he, he mentions it. He goes, do not think that with a word, my father sends thousands of angels to my command. Oh, Jesus could retaliate. But he's beautifully not retaliating. What an amazing thing. He told us also to expect to be treated badly in this world. John 15, later on in that text, it says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because we carry his name. We are living sacrifices. We are, we are being conformed to the image of Jesus. We stand in his identity. So they will do these things to you on the account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. They don't know God. No matter, who, no matter what they say about knowing God, they don't know him. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for this sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. So we understand the reaction of darkness and light, but we think and act differently when we present ourselves as a living sacrifice. So you're going to, if you stand in the identity of Jesus and you're not still wearing the clothing of darkness, you will encounter hurt. You will encounter persecution. You will encounter pushback. People will hurt you. So there's three things we see right here that you do instead of retaliation. So we're told not to retaliate, but rather, first one is, respond with notable honor. Respond with notable honor. It says to give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Give thought to it. So instead of striking back, with your head up, seeing you're in the moment God's put you in as a living sacrifice, give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Number two, proactively plan for peacemaking. So 
I know within your, your, your human sense, it's like time to like, you know, clench the fist and retaliate with the blow. But Jesus goes, so you're my living sacrifice and offering to me? I'd like you to do is I'd like you to pursue peace with them. As much as is possible within you to pursue peace with them. Third is a why underneath this. <laughs> Give room for God to avenge you. He is passionate about you. That text is pretty strong up there, right? Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Here's the story. You are, <laughs> you are the child of God. The God who runs the universe is very, very passionate and protective of you. Literally, the word here is give, give place to the wrath of God. Don't step into the role of self-avenger. God goes, no, 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 no. That's my spot. Let, let me take care of the avenging piece um, because, son, you can't do that. You can't do it, right? You don't know how to think that through and you don't have the power to do it. Lay, leave the space for me to do that. So he'll do that in one of two ways. He'll do it on the cross because the sweetest deal is that the person who attacks you comes to know Jesus through this, right? And then their sin is avenged on the cross. That's the sweetest. But if it's not avenged on the cross, they have God to deal with because they just messed with God's daughter. God goes, leave that space to me. Don't try to fill in yourself. You'll do it foolishly. We worship God by engaging in good before others rather than retaliation. And the final piece of this passage here is the offering of overcoming, overcoming with good. It's the offering of overcoming with good. Look at 20 and 21. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Um, whoops. Um, we have in the end of this passage here, this is not a call. As we're presenting ourselves living offerings to Jesus, this is not having Jesus a call saying, lose. Lose for me. This is a call of Jesus to win for me. It's not a call to lose. It's a call to win, to overcome. That's our word here overcome just notice it it's a winning term calls you to win but not to be won over see what's happening in the whole process of this as you present yourself as a living sacrifice to god your heart is being tempted by your desires and very well by satan himself to give in and to be won over and to be moved by to fear earthly things and earthly effects, and you want that physical retaliation. You want that American sense of justice. That person hurt me, and, and I deserve justice. You may very well deserve justice, but not at your hand. God's saying, no, 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 that's not the Justice, you are achieving your justice is not the win. I have a different win, and I want you. Thank you for presenting yourself as a living offering. I want a different win. So here's how you win. Don't become overcome by evil where it knocks you out of your game and knocks you out of your thoughts and you quit abiding with me and you take the power and the revenge in your own hand. But instead, keep abiding in me and overcome evil with good. So when they come after you, and they will because now you're light. You used to be darkness, now you're light. And the darkness who doesn't like the light is going to strike against the light, but it won't overcome the light. So stand in the light, abide in me, and follow my ways what, do, what I want you to do, I want you to seek peace with them. I want you to consider what's honorable in their eyes. I want you to do good. When, they're, when your enemy is hungry, feed your enemy. And brothers and sisters, don't we know that is absolutely against everything in our flesh? We don't think that way. But Jesus 
has done it. We've seen him do it. It's beautiful. It's part of the beauty of what's drawn our hearts to him. And he calls us now being conformed to his image to do the same. And we do it like Jesus. We do it like the Father. Matthew 5, 45 says, So that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and unjust. So you and I, as children of God, loved by him, not only is the gospel coming out of us, but the gospel is being lived for real as the Spirit of God, as we abide in Jesus, is creating the image of Jesus. We st- what's happening on the ground is that once again, the image of Jesus suffering and not retaliating, Jesus overcoming evil with good is happening again because that's what the cross was. The cross wasn't a loss. The cross was a win where evil was overcome with good. And God's going to give you that opportunity today maybe. I'll give you the opportunity this week when darkness comes against you and you have a chance to suffer. So brothers and sisters, our happiness, your happiness, will not be found in a stress-free, unimpeded homestead and freedom of, of, to do whatever you want to do. Your happiness, our happiness as God's children, is found in placing our treasure in an eternal home and our treasury filled with the investment of this life now. We invest this life now as we go before him and lay our lives down and ask him what he wants as living sacrifices. He leads us. He gives us Romans 12 with some really practical ways of what that means to outwork that. Living a life sacrifice presented to Jesus to look just like him as we relate to his other children and the world that he came to save. So may God give us strength to really be able to do that and to rest in him. Wes is going to come up and he's going to work with us and we're going to pray through three statements from this passage here as we process this and present ourselves as living sacrifices to Christ.